You're listening to Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Newark. We're coming to you to bring knowledge and some courage as we voyage through this life as missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jennifer Benke, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with my friend and colleague, Father John Gordon. Welcome to the Heart of the Ark. This is the podcast from the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. My name is Jennifer Benke. I'm the Associate Director for Evangelization. And listeners, today you might hear that my audio is a little different. I am in conversation with two people. We've never done a three-person conversation here at the Heart of the Ark before. Exciting. Yes. So today I'm very excited to be joined by Father Gino Delarama and Father Patrick Suh. I said that correctly? Wonderful. Okay. So like Subway without Bowes. Okay, great. So Father Gino, Father Patrick, thank you so much for indulging me in your time. And I would love to have a conversation with you today. Could you tell us who you are and where you're at in the in this scheme of things in the Archdiocese? Sure. So my name is Father Gino Dolorama. I'm the director of the Office of Priestly Vocations, or very commonly... Uh, known as the vocation director. Um, Basically, my whole uh, responsibility for this office is to facilitate an awareness of uh, the priestly vocation uh, for the archdiocese, the parish priesthood, so that... uh, you know, the entire church, right, can pray um, and hopefully encourage young men uh, and invite young men uh, into uh, considering if God is calling them to that and then facilitating the entire uh, admissions process um, prior to entering seminary. I've uh, been doing this now. This is my seventh year. Uh, before that, I was at Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Ridgewood for three years as a parochial vicar. Uh, in a very unique way, uh, the Cardinal uh, gave us uh, a great gift of having Father Patrick uh, join us as an associate director here at the office. And it's a great dynamism, right, that we, you know, uh, that we have now, uh, having with two priests. And so I uh, was very happy to have him. Love for him to uh, share a little bit about, you know, himself as well. Yeah, official title is Associate Director of Priestly Vocations for the Archdiocese of Newark. The operative word being associate, which means I really don't know what I'm doing yet. Same. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been on the job since July 1st, and today is November, what are we today? 27th. November 27th, and uh, which means I am learning under the venerable... Father Gino. Servant of God. (laughs) Servant of servants, and I'm just the secondary servant, yeah? And we are working together. We've discovered that we are very different in the way we think and in our personalities, but which is a really good blend for our office. So we're kind of excited, very excited, to see how this year moves forward. I I would joke around all the time, actually, when I would, because I used to teach fifth grade um, at Mount Carmel and Ridgewood about the whole concept of like, you know, we got to, the whole purpose, like of our time here on earth is trying to be saints. But if that sounds too daunting, just shoot for venerable, 
<laughs> Maybe venerable, and then we can work up from there. Yeah, I don't think they chop venerables in, in pieces. I'm, I'm okay with them. Yeah, that's I right. Take that. That's I right. Take that. Even servant of God. All maybe. right, man. Yeah, nobody <laughs> needs snippets of servant of God. So I'm um, here today. I'm the associate director, and I work with the venerable Father John Gordon in mm-hmm. in general. So I understand that, and, and we look at evangelization completely different. I'm really glad to have a conversation with uh, the two of you today. I just happen to look over your shoulder, and I see a priest never belongs to himself. I have one of those scribbly boards in my office, too. It kind of helps me focus. So is that something that you write to yourself? Is that something you have over your shoulder for the guys who come in to talk to you? The the latter it gives me way too much credit. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, a, I'm very much a quote guy. Okay. And so, obviously, that quote came from uh, Pope Benedict XVI in one of, in one of his apostolic letters or um, encyclicals and stuff. And so, basically, anytime uh, something strikes me, you know, I need, like, weeks with, with that one quote or whatever. No, but yeah, when I first got assigned to this office, I had a hard time wrapping my head around how do I even go about this thing? I don't want to come off, you know, like a career fair guy um, behind a booth. I'm not looking to have an elevator pitch. I'm not looking, you know, shake trees, visiting high schools, say, you too can experience, you know, the uh, participation of the uh, eternal high priesthood of Jesus Christ. You know, I didn't want to be that guy because I'm not that guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to try and be somebody that I'm not. And so this assignment gave me the uh, profound gift of reflecting on what the priesthood is, how it can be lived out faithfully. Um, and so it just ended up on my board. That's a long-winded way of saying it ended up on my board, but it, it certainly helps me to frame these conversations with young guys who kind of view it, so, some of the guys view it as like a career opportunity or a career option. Um, and I uh, I don't particularly ascribe to that kind of framing or perspective because it's not, I, I don't consider it to be true. I very much appreciate that. I think uh, especially the part about it being a conversation. Um, that's I met the both of you because um, recently because uh, a young man within my sphere of influence has gotten to the age of 16 and doesn't think the priesthood sounds like too bad of an idea for the rest of his life. Right? So I think for me, that's pretty miraculous. That's one way of framing it. Right? The priesthood sounds like not too bad of an idea for the rest of <laughs> So I think that uh, having these conversations is important, and that's the reason that I wanted to continue that conversation with both of you, is that we're all working in this vineyard of the Archdiocese of Newark, and we have these spheres of influence. So I don't know if this is going to touch on some of your your vocation stories or how you look at where a young man comes from in terms of his priest, you know, his priestly journey. Talk to me about the foundation of, of vocation. Where does that come from? The foundation of vocation. Ah, wow, you can go really deep with this and no, trying to get to the very core. But in the end, vocation, it's a call from the Lord. I, I think we can understand the question that teachers ask their students all the time in a good way or in a bad way. And very often the question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And these kids say, well, I want to be a 
police officer, a fireman, a doctor, for me was to own my own vineyard in Central Coast, California. I didn't think that when I was five years old. I grew as I grew older. And I, this is part of my own vocation story, I pursued that life, what I wanted for so long. And the farther and farther I got in trying to achieve this life of mine by myself, the more and more miserable I became. And it got to such a breaking point where I finally threw up my hands and said to the Lord, I can't live this way anymore. I will do whatever it is you tell me to do, whatever you want for me, whatever you know is best for me. And it took me on a long, convoluted journey across the United States, back and uh, meeting incredible people who have changed my life. Um, a bunch of religious orders. Uh, I thought I was going to be either a friar or a Carthusian monk. Uh, but the Lord called me to something else and ended up, had the Lord had me end up here in the Archdiocese of Newark, a place I never actually wanted to come back to. I grew up here in Angle Cliffs, <laughs> New Jersey, Bergen County boy, Jersey boy. Um, but uh, I never thought I was going to come here. But once I said to the Lord, whatever you want, uh, he guided me back here to my home state and uh, I'm here to serve. So in the end, okay, and I, I want to say, like, obviously there's a lot of struggles in whatever life that the Lord takes you. But when you're sure it's a calling from the Lord, you have this deep peace that you can never let go of. You know that the Lord is providing everything you need for this vocation that he called you to. So if he wants you for this role, he's going to provide everything you need. And that even though I know, like, what am I doing here in the vocations office? I don't know what I'm doing. When I first became a priest, like, I, I'm really in charge of all these souls. It was kind of overwhelming. And then at the end of the night, as I prayed about it, each night it was, all right, Lord, you called me to this. You're here with me. And I know you're going to get me through it. So I feel like that, the Lord, is the foundation of every vocation. And if we're truly desirous of the Lord and his will, there's nothing to worry about. There was a unique moment, as Father Patrick's talking, it, it reminded me of this unique moment. Just actually a couple of weeks ago, he and I were at a parish, you know, preaching about vocations or whatever. Father Patrick goes up and he, you know, shares about, you know, how he went to college and like, you know, really wanted to be a physician and was going to medical school and blah, blah, blah. And there was a kid, I'm going to say no more than 15 or 16 years old, sitting two or three pews from the front. And I'm looking at his face and he's listening to him, listening to him, you know, just kind of you know, wondering who this new uh, person is or whatever. And Father Patrick shared about it in, the, in that similar exact way, but well, a unique way in which he framed one particular sentence. He says, and the more I focused on what I wanted to do in my life, forgive me if I'm paraphrasing, the more I wanted to focus on what I wanted to do for my life, the more I became miserable. And when he used that word, the kid's jaw like dropped, right? Because it's so counterintuitive to what children in modern day America are told. The the whole like FOMO, like YOLO philosophy, scrolling through the various options that are at your fingertips, you know, once you get, you know, out of school and out of your parents' house and you can, you know, be, you know, whatever it is that you want to be. To be clear, so that nobody is confused with what, we, what we're referring to when we say vocation, right? 
We don't mean vocation like trade or vocation like career or vocation like job, right? Right. We mean a state of life that a a person is called to in order to grow in holiness, in order to uh, witness to the kingdom. And so if we understand marriage and family life, the priesthood, consecrated religious life, as a place where God is calling me to empty myself and die to myself for others Mm -hmm. in order to build up the kingdom, uh, then certainly, right, it it changes the way in which a man can approach the Lord and say, what are you calling me to? What what road of self-emptying and self-gift are you calling me to? Versus, should I be a firefighter or a priest, right? And I think that narrative uh, has to change. Yes. It has to change. I agree with you. I appreciate also you bringing in the idea that, like, the vocation mindset has to start with single or married life or a religious life or like that we have to re we have to refocus on our families as well in terms of the ways in which we really empty ourselves for our families as well because um we know that our vocations in in many ways are fostered by the people who raise us right they they witness to us how god's love is is evident in our lives what I know my, you know, my faith is born of the faith of my parents, and I try to inspire my children with my faith life. And so I'm sure that your families also had something to do with you winding up in this office today. So I had sort of like a rough, uh, you know, set of circumstances growing up. My father died when I was five years old. Uh, my mother uh, raised me uh, by herself. Um, my younger brother went back and forth from the Philippines, so she would, uh, so extended family would, you know, raise him. He would come back for a certain amount of time. I would go there for a certain amount of time. There was a lot of like uh, tumultuous uh, episodes, you know, growing up. But one thing was evident, right, was that church was a non-negotiable, and it was going to be the. Uh, the mass was going to be uh, the only sure thing, right? No matter no matter what. And I was a very distracted young man. Um, I loved being out uh, on the street, uh, hanging out with friends. Um, I loved getting into all the troublesome uh, experiences of being, you know, from the inner city. To me, all the city is that Jersey City, (laughs) Jersey City, uh, also known as the center of the universe. I loved everything. Mm -hmm. I loved, I loved experience, trying to experience everything. Church was my mom's thing that I was forced to do. Um, but I use as a negotiating chip to go to McDonald's or go to the diner, right? If there's anything that, that was never lost on me, it was her resilience, her faith, and how much she believed in God and how much she prioritized the church. To me, it's the only reason why we made it, right? you know, because of her, her love for Jesus. It was not vocal. It wasn't pompous. It wasn't overly pious. She never actually talked about it that much but there was no negotiating I mean it was like we're going to church right you know and I was just like wow like she's been through so much and and yet we could easily just given up hope 
because of, I mean, we've been, we were robbed like at one point, you know, when we were both in the house, uh, I was robbed multiple times, like on the street. Like there's so many, we have so That's many. That's Jersey City folks. So. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. We're better for it. Though. <laughs> um, you know, there's so many unfortunate things, so many deaths in the family. There's so many reasons why we should have walked away from the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was never even a, a question. And so that's that was never lost on me, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, I think parents are the first most important promoters or detractors from a vocation. For myself, my mom is the most devoted Catholic you'll ever meet. You get mass, fail, measles. To this day, after retirement, she's in the church like three hours a day, just praying for anything and everything and everyone. And she converted her father she converted my dad her husband and growing up my mom used to take myself and my sisters to daily mass mm-hmm. every morning and before school and so going to mass was normal and to this day uh, even when i grew older if there was ever opportunity not to go to mass for whatever reason even if i was sick i still felt the pull to be like no i want to go to mass this is simply how i live i have to be with the lord However, growing up, you're a kid, you're just doing whatever your parents say. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was a certain point in my life where I started to want the faith for myself. That's fast forwarding, that's a whole other homily uh, for another day. (laughs) Um, So I was in medical school, I was in my third year when that was one of the breaking points for me. I said, I can't live by myself for myself anymore. And so I, I left medical school, I had this pretty big fight with my family, most especially my parents. And I am the only son of an only son. So me saying, I'm going to leave medical school, is saying, yeah, the name kind of dies with me. And I thought I was going to be a monk at that point. And so there was a lot of resistance from my parents. And I imagine because they were looking at me going, what's this idiot doing? He's in third year uh, medical school. He's just probably just difficult right now. He just doesn't want to have to work. And so they were just thinking I was just being a dumb kid, not wanting to go to my room and study. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was probably the biggest hurdle for me was my own parents, who at the same time were the biggest promoters of instilling the faith in myself. Mm. Uh, so it's this good tension to have uh, because, yeah, I mean, we're given a family by the Lord for a particular reason. If I had, in some ways, I imagine if I hadn't had my parents fighting against me, I wouldn't have wanted it so much in some ways. Um, at the same time, you, know, you think of like St. Therese of Lisieux's parents were like living saints. And, you know, if I had had those kind of parents, who knows what my life, how it could have been different. Um, but yeah, parents, I think, are so important, both in the positive and the negative. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge responsibility, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's maybe why I never became a parent. I wouldn't have been up to the task. You know? <laughs> but different, the Lord it, has different roles, yeah? It's funny that you say, you frame it in that way because... My mom, as much as she was always super religious, <laughs> when I told her I was entering the seminary, she went radio silent for like two years. And I think this is me sort of like uh, speculating, right? I think it's because in her head, she knew me and she knows what the priesthood is. And in her head, it's like, uh, yeah, you're not. I don't think you understand what it is, you know, like, I don't think you get it, you know, like, this is pre-cell phone, right? Right. So, like, girls would have to call the house 
and talk to her first before being able to talk to me. Like, this is how it was growing up. So in her head, she's like, I don't think you get it. Like, you can't be a priest because, you know, in her, she never said any of these things, but she was always just very like, let's see if this thing fizzles out. Um, And it wasn't until I finished my second full year and I'm sitting at home. It was the summertime. And she goes, so you're still, uh, you know, um, into this thing, essentially. Uh, And I was like, yeah, I think so. And then she like got used to it and then now she's like you know super supportive uh of it but yeah i don't know what would have changed for good or for bad if she did say something and what she said but i think she could tell i was serious because uh i mean i answered the seminary and she was just really quiet almost like saying like "Ooh, i don't know we'll see I should also add that my parents are very supportive of my book. <laughs> yeah. Hi, mom. Hi, yeah. mom. Yeah, I know. Love I know. Mom. Love you, dad. Yeah, thank you for your support. Thank you for your faith. Amen. Amen. Yeah. yeah. I've had an interesting path for my vocation. I, know, I think you both may have know this, that I just got married recently on October 14th. Oh, like congratulations. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was married prior and then... Um, that didn't quite work out, but the church agreed, so they gave <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know, me and the church are on the same side <laughs> of the issue, so, so, so I'm yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's been interesting to have conversations with my parents, who obviously were there for me the first time and have been there for me for the second time, and uh, the difference of kind of evaluating what I, you know, not what I know now, but what I significantly older than the last time, um, the understanding of vocation in a much more rich and deep way rather than just, oh, I'm going to get married, you know, like um, has been a real change in our ability to communicate. And I think that I don't know if I always appreciated where they were at in their own vocation. Um, And that's been really an interesting growing experience for me. And also, obviously, I have kids who have, they've seen all this history, right? So, so they know, they've watched the difference between what, um, the relationships that, I, you know, that I had before and now, that I have now. So it's, a, it's interesting that you, you both say that, like, parents really do witness and for good or for bad, right? Like, that's, that's where we are. We're all, at, we're all, we're all broken humans, you know, we're just trying to do the right thing. How parents should navigate right uh, a, a household of faith or the domestic church. Uh, I would always first off just say you know keep the main thing the main thing, right. So uh, I think sometimes in the fervor right of you know Catholic households, you know uh, some parents right and kind of almost push right uh, the whole concept of. You know, you could be a priest, you could be a priest, or you could be a nun, you know, the whole thing to the point where, you know, kids can, young, young men and women can kind of get turned off by it and really as a form of rebellion, just say, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, maybe, right? Um, there's a delicate, uh, obviously a delicate balance, but if, if the parents are committed to prayer, to mass, confessions, you know, the whole thing, um, and then just uh, making sure that their children are aware that it's not, you know, what you want to do versus, you know, uh, what do you think God could be calling you to do, you know, and sort of reframing what the culture has 
framed for them, right, right uh, is is pertinent, number one. And then number two, this sounds... Um, <laughs> like it's an like I'm angling for something. I promise you, I'm not. But many times when you talk to priests and nuns, they'll share that. Not my experience, but but I've definitely heard of it m- multiple times. Is that young kids were around joyful priests and nuns often, like having them over for dinner, because if the priesthood. Uh, I'll use the priesthood as an uh, as the primary example. It's just like a mass thing, and you know, young people don't see that priests have fun and have friends and have meaningful relationships and have a full and meaningful and joyful life. Then, w- without that experience, they're just going to see priests as people who pray all the time. Right. And the mass is the only thing that they do, and they and because mass is boring, then the natural logic is that priests therefore have a boring life. I don't want that, right? Right, and uh, and so a lot of the, a lot of the men that sometimes you speak to is because they they've known priests their whole lives. They've been over the house. They've hung out. There's a there's a uh, and, and I'm so blessed to be able to say this. There's a beautiful turning point, I think, between the lady and the and the priesthood when there can become a natural when there's a natural friendship that can be born, and when a lot you know people can share their lives in a, in an enriching way, in a um, you know in a beautiful way, in a joyful way. Then all these concepts of the of of what of these uh, lives can. Uh, be like all of those things can be uh, torn down, you know, by by young people. And I, um, it's a shame, right, that there are less and less priests, and, and the priests that do we do have are kind of overworked and burnt out. So a lot of them don't have the freedom to kind of experience those things. But certainly in my first assignment, um, I experienced that, and it, and I treasure them in my heart. People who just you know kind of wanted to you know have me hang out and you know have dinner and stuff, and it was just so meaningful. As you mentioned earlier, there is the, basically the three main secondary vocations of consecrated life, priesthood, and marriage. And none of these three are meant to be in isolation. So a lot of our kids nowadays, the, a big problem is that they only have exposure to married people, and they see both pro, uh, good couple, uh, marriages and unhappy marriages at the same time. And so... I imagine those people that I hear, like, I never want to get married, had bad experiences of marriage, and so they don't want marriage. And those who have good experiences of marriage, well, yeah, I, would, I want to have a family of my own. It makes, makes sense. It's just right. you have a, uh, an experience of something so beautiful, you want it for yourself. So as Father Gino was saying, you have a beautiful experience of having Father Gino over for dinner, and you see that he's like the biggest jokester you'll ever meet in your life. <laughs> You're like, huh, that's not what I thought a priest was like, and... I could have that too. But then even just the priest alone, like a a young man or a woman meeting a priest, isn't good enough, at least in my eyes, because the consecrated life is so important as well. Because for priests, the consecrated are meant to be the lights of the world. We're meant to look to them to be like, ah, that's where we're all headed. Um, Yeah, every so often, Father Gina and I will prepare couples for marriage. Mm -hmm. 
And now that I'm in this vocations world and I'm thinking about vocations in its fuller context, I think it's right that when I hear from young men and women, oh man, I would never want to be a monk or a nun. Oh, that's scary. Something like to that effect. And I think there's a real detriment there. Uh, A couple get married. When they die, what happens? They're no longer married according to Jesus Christ in Scripture. Right. Because what happens is that they become like the angels in heaven. And in the end, it's them being wed to Christ himself in this mystical marriage. And that's what the consecrated has. They have given up the world to make Christ their bridegroom. Beginning here in this world. And so if we have consecrated who really appreciate that, that's when, as Gino mentioned, Father Gino mentioned, they're truly joyful. Mm-hmm. Right? If you have Jesus in your life and you really have him in the way he wants to give himself to you, that can't help but result in true joy. And so, so for a couple who doesn't appreciate that, they can't actually appreciate their own marriage because that's what it's destined for. Right. And same thing with a priest. Um, we don't give ourselves to one woman. We give ourselves to, uh, for a bishop of diocese, for a priest of parish, uh, for a deacon, also a parish in a manner of speaking. And, but even that is meant to point towards what the consecrated have uh, with Jesus Christ himself without symbol, without anything kind of standing in between. Um, so, yeah, my suggestion is similar. Go hang out with the CFRs in Newark. <laughs> they are so joyful. Yeah. Uh, they have these associate days on Saturdays once a month, and uh, I've introduced a couple of my former parishioners there, and they've been going every single time, and they can't not want to go anymore. They're like, we want to be around that joy all the time. And I think it's one of the healthiest things because you go there and you'll meet the, the friars, of course, and you'll have priests like myself go there every so often. And you'll see these joyful families. You have all three in this one place at the CFRs, uh, the friary there. And like, that's the place where the church is in miniature right mm-hmm. there. And you bring your sons and daughters there. They're going to see all the choices presented before them. And in a healthier and more wholesome way, they can then discern more uh, better, saying, oh, of these three general options, what is the Lord calling me to now? Um, So, yeah, I I suggest to to parents to do that, to bring them to a place like the CFRs on Associates Day so that they don't have a limited scope. They only see good or bad marriages. Then they see good or bad priests and good or bad friars as well. But at least they get to see everything. Right. And then they can they can have a healthier discernment in their time. Really, really privileged place that I get to come to Immaculate Conception Seminary and speak to the both of you, but I've also been able to go to um, one of the uh, open rooms and speak to one of the nuns. She, was, she just took her perpetual vows in Summit in the Dominicans. So she's a cloistered nun, but I got to speak to her about three months before she made her final profession. So that was like, and she was just so full of joy, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. man, if you can get your kids or your family to understand that, like, like these are lives of joy. And, yeah, there's sadness and there's and, and there's difficulty, but, like, the, the understanding that God never leaves us orphaned anywhere we are, like, that's just, that hope just bubbles out of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the Summit Dominicans is where I had my first Mass of Thanksgiving. Oh. I love those nuns. They prayed me through seminary and into ordination. And I, I, I joke around and I say, I, 
I'm jealous because I've always wanted to be a nun, but they keep rejecting my application. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a deacon. I just, just for the exalted, just let me do the exalted here, and I'll go back oh, man. just once. It's just once. glorious. Oh my goodness. Um, I guess in terms of because we're it's Advent, and I don't want to take more of your time, but I just since we're talking about this joy and these, this hope, what what do you see as signs of hope? In the in the Archdiocese of Newark or in the vocations, like where what do you what makes fills you with hope when you go and speak to people? Sure, I mean, Father Patrick um, really couldn't have an appreciation for what I've been seeing of late because he he just joined the office, you know, a couple months ago. But actually, since he got here i don't know if they, if if it's a cause and effect thing i'm very open to it being a causal thing but <laughs> really since he got here since july there have been like a lot of guys reaching out wanting to talk about you know becoming a priest you mentioned uh our come and see event last fall we had 35 uh young men from uh different high schools uh, and parishes from all over the archdiocese asking questions about you know what is it like to be here on campus and like again it's not that the how do i frame this for those of us who are kind of like you know at a level of maturity when all of the scandals hit Right. We, we view that as, you know, sort of a, a very heavy, you know, thing that's that, you know, we're actually still working through in the church. But for young people, because that's always been the understanding. Right. That's always been the context with which the priesthood has, uh, you know, been talked about since they were little. Their view on it is somewhat different mm-hmm. for them. It's just like, wow, you want to do this. You know, they're, they're like intrigued, you know, and they're, they say, what's, why, why are you wired in such a way that's different from me where you would want to, you, you would want to do this? And so there's no, uh, there's no concept of what it was like before, right? you know, and so I, I'm very encouraged and very hopeful that first off, historians might even argue that there have been more challenging times in the church um, and there's good reason for those for those arguments but God has never stopped calling priests and religious he's never stopped calling them to witness to the kingdom for the sake of the wider church for marriage and family life you know for what sacrificial love icons of sacrificial love can look like and models of it can look like to sanctify the church as a whole so is it worrisome that we have you know not a lot of guys you know sure to a degree um, because we would like parishes to continue functioning for people to be able to receive the sacraments that you know i hope not being flippant or dismissive of that reality but I'm also confident that God is always going to take care of his church because it's his. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and when you uh, are approached by a young man, he says, uh, please pray for me. Um, I'm thinking about becoming a priest. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. But it's it's very moving because they, uh, when we do go around and people do say that, you know, it's encouraging it to work because you can't see it. They don't want to be known. They want to remain anonymous. But but you know that, you know that they're there. Right. Two things. One is go back to Pope Benedict. He predicted this a long time ago. He said, <laughs> we're going to go through a time of purification. Mm-hmm. He and his wisdom and his foresight, and as at the top of the ecclesial ladder there, he was able to see the big picture and be like, 
I see what's coming. Mm-hmm. But the second and more important thing that brings me great hope is that Father Gino and I are not your vocations director, vocation directors. That's God. God is your vocations director, and he is calling, and he, is, he can provide everything you need for whatever it is that he calls to, whether it's consecrated priesthood, orders life, ordered life, or marriage. No matter what, God will be with you. And not necessarily Father Gino or myself, because if it's up to us, man, your life will be terrible if we are your primary vocations directors. So, yeah, the fact that we have a church that's last outlasted tyrants and greater abuses. Well, our abuse has been terrible, but huge and terrible abuses. And that the church still moves forward. Yeah, that gives me great hope because we look to the past. And we know that we can keep moving forward. And we have Jesus Christ on our side and not only by our side, but living within us. Yeah, we don't look at Jesus like Pelagius does from afar. We say, no, he's in us, living within us. And all we have to do is just get out of the way. For Father Gino and myself to get out of the way of these young men who want to become priests and say, hey, let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. Talk to him. Ask him every day. What do you want of me? The Lord will tell you. He wants to tell you. He is dying, literally died, to tell you what he wants for you. And so, if Jesus Christ is your hope, man, I'm pretty comfortable with that. There's that passage where the the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for the harvest. That word ask, you know, in English, it's kind of a, a weak translation because it's, it's like, oh, I'm going to raise my hand and say, hey, can I go to the bathroom? Yeah. Ask, what's the, can you help me with my homework? Something like that, right? We can use ask in that kind of superficial way. But the way Jesus, the word that Jesus uses there, I checked through the rest of Matthew's gospel, just a couple occasions. The first one is when the leper, uh, who has his fingers falling off, his nose falling off, he has been exiled to never see his family or friends again. He can never go to the temple and encounter God and sacrifice and worship. He asks Jesus to, uh, to heal him. To cleanse him is actually the more appropriate term. The next one is when a father has a son possessed by a demon, and we know how much fathers love their children. He asks Jesus to rid his son of this demon, and so on and so on. There's even when the there's the man in the cemetery who breaks the shackles. He's possessed by legion, the legion of demons, mm-hmm. and the demons who cannot stand to be in the presence of God. They ask to be cast into the swine and which is so terrible, the swine go and cast themselves into lake and kill themselves. Right. Right? So it's this type of asking that the Lord is commanding us to do to ask for laborers for the harvest. So uh, once I realized that, I was like, how are we not praying for vocations every single day? Amen. Uh, at the end of every mass, uh, in the household, every night with our children who have a vocation, every single one of us has a vocation. And so... Ask, beg the Lord uh, to send out laborers for harvest. Maybe to send one of your sons and daughters to be laborers of the harvest in a parish, or labor of harvest, uh, laborers in the harvest of a family, or laborers of harvest in a community, in a religious order. Right? Ask for that every day, and the Lord wants to answer. He commanded us to do it, so if He tells us to do it, will He not answer our prayers? Yeah. How much more than the birds of the air, right? Oh, amen. <laughs> right? He cares for us that much. The grass of the fields, exactly. Exactly.
I'm so glad you brought up Pope Benedict because he's my bud. He's my I, I sang for him in 2008 when he came to New York. No way. Yeah. Sang Where, for in uh, Yankee Stadium? No. All right, so to close off this interview, we're going to have a little no. spin. No. Maybe the exalted? No. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, no uh, he, before he did the St. Joseph Seminary, uh, he went to um, a, a temple in the morning, a Jewish temple, and then he did an afternoon address of, of uh, ecumenical um, partnership. And um, it was at St. Joseph's Church in Yorkville in 2008, April 18th, because I, I had um, been sick before that, and I asked God to just give me my voice back so I could go back and sing in a church choir him and um, less than a year later almost to the day I was asked to canter for Pope Benedict in the church where I had been wow. serving wow. so it was like it was like okay it's not just this little thing you ask for right he always gives you more than you can mm. imagine right so um, and I was there um, you know just hoping I got my voice back and I could sing it like a tiny little church in, and here I was singing for the Pope on my TV and everything. So when you say ask, he answers greater than we can ever imagine, right? So. Well, can I can I end with a little? Uh, I just gave this homily the other day. I was comparing myself, who, you know, I've a Korean mom, so she makes me play piano and violin and study for SATs and all these different things. And I love music to this day. My kind of guilty pleasure or my dream would have been to in an acapella boy band group. And okay. So I love music. But when I was younger and my my parents made me practice on the piano for two hours every day, uh, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to go play sports. I wanted to play video games with my friends. But I have another friend who ended up being a concert-level pianist. He loved music so much. He has, this, has a perfect pitch for piano. And um, he loves it so much that he became this concert-level pianist. But he extended it. He added the essential ingredient of how can I love others with this? How can I give glory to God and to neighbors? So he ended up joining a Norbertine community in California and he is now the organist awesome. clearly for them. And even more than that, and this is going to make you jealous. He went and when he became a deacon, he studied in Rome and he was a deacon for the exalted. And so he got to chant that in front of the world because he took the gifts that he had received from the Lord and gave it back to him, yeah. and then was able to, I mean, before everyone, he was able to love everyone in the world with that. Amen. That's all. Awesome. I got to share a Pope Benedict story, too, from, okay. from that visit, if you don't mind. Let's do it. Because he was in D.C. Mm-hmm. at Nat Stadium, and I was discerning, entering the seminary. It was such a powerful mass, Pope Benedict, the whole stadium, thousands of people. It was so beautiful. We leave the stadium, and there was like an army of uh, vitriolic, anti-Catholic protesters, right, who were just making all this noise throughout the whole mass. You could hear it from inside the stadium. You could hear how much they were just like saying nasty, terrible things the whole time. We go outside and we encounter like probably, I want to say at least 30 to 40 of them in the one exit that I was walking out of. And everyone froze. Like we couldn't believe how many there were and how 
impassioned they were to kind of tear us down and basically say all these terrible things about the Catholic Church, etc. And right at that moment, when nobody knew what to do and were just kind of frozen there, like like sheep encountering a whole pack of wolves, all of a sudden, all of the priests fought their way to the front. And in, and each one of them, almost like, they, it's like without, it was like instinctual, right? All the priests went up to each one of them and like almost like protected us from them. But I couldn't believe the way they were doing it. You know, like they did it with such mercy, with such gentleness, still respecting them, but kind of getting them to kind of like calm down and just say, I'd love to talk to you about all these things that you share. And it was such a moving thing because I'm easily inspired by like dramatic, like, you know, showings of, you know, kind of compassion that way. And it was just like... It was like a battlefield because, again, these visits are so big, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like a battlefield and it was like one force of people totally imposing itself on another. And from within us, all these priests like showed up out of nowhere. Old ones, young ones, diocesan ones, religious ones. It was like the coolest thing I'd ever <laughs> seen. And I was like so, so drawn to tears. You know, no, but nothing got physical. There was no like, you know, the priest didn't go up there and just start knocking people out. You know what I mean? Like, which is what I <laughs> want. Then sing the Salve Regina in their face. Yeah, like, like I want, I want, like the Jersey City side of you. The Jersey City side of me, you know, wanted I, to get physical. You want a smackdown? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to be the bouncer yeah. and just say, "How dare you? Have some class." You know what I mean? And I wanted to drag them across the street, but these holy men went up there and de-escalated it. As if they had been trained to do so at some, like, briefing (laughs) before the Mass. But it was instinctive. It was immediate. It was was Christ just, like, you know, offering himself, just saying, you know, like, don't, you know. And I was, it was just so moving. And that's why that visit meant so much for me uh, when Pope Benedict came. And so, anyway. All right. That's awesome. Thank you. Can we end with a prayer? Yes, please. We should always start with prayer, end with prayer, whatever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, your Son, the true High Priest. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down into the hearts of all those who might listen to this, this podcast, this interview. May they be inspired to follow your will, to seek after you alone trust that you will take care of them, that there's nothing to fear, that you have conquered all, and that he wants to guide us to become like him. May we have repentant hearts. May we leave the old man behind. May we leave the life we used to live to embrace the life you want us to live for your glory and for the salvation of all souls. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.
Heart of the Ark podcast is an initiative by the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. If you want to find us online, you can find us at rcan.org slash evangelization. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Very soon we'll be updating our social media for the Heart of the Ark, but you can find us on Fireside Podcasts at heartoftheark.fireside.fm. Our theme song is composed by and orchestrated by Eric Hunter, a dear friend of mine. You can find out more about Eric and his performances and compositions at Eric, E-R-I-C, Hunter, H-U-N-T-E-R, music.com. This has been a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you in the future.